What sort of platform does a record-setting Olympics provide for the years ahead? Just how difficult was it to run in the oppressive heat and humidity that blanketed the 2020 Tokyo Olympics? And just how good is Sifan Hassan to be so dominant in the face of this? After their impressive showings in Tokyo, how good is it to be an Aussie track competitor right now? And just how much break do they, and other track stars from around the world, get after the Olympics before they're back on the road? Uh, spoiler alert, uh, not a lot. I'm your host, Joey Lynch, and this is Beyond the Lead with Jessica Hull. Competing at her first Olympic Games, Jessica Hull became one of the faces of Australia's strong showing on the track at Tokyo 2020, reaching the finals of the women's 1500 metres alongside countrywoman Lyndon Hall. After comfortably, comfortably timing-wise at least, the temperature and humidity was really anything but comfortable, advancing through her heat, the Illawarra native broke the Australian and Oceanian record in her semi-final with a time of 3 minutes 58 seconds 0.81 to move into the decider. A final in which she finished 11th and Hall, running a PB time of 3 minutes 59 seconds 0.01, finished 6th. At just 24 years old and entering her running prime, Hull now has a sight set on the 2022 World Athletics Championships in Oregon, the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham and the 2024 Olympics in Paris. However, for Australia's track and field stars, there'll be very little time to sit back and savour their accomplishments in Tokyo and plan for the years ahead. Competition ramping up once again less than a month after the closing ceremony of the Games of the 32nd Olympiad. Hull, alongside teammates such as Hall and Stuart McSwain, are set to compete at the prestigious Prefontaine Classic in Hull's home away from home, Eugene, Oregon, on August 20. Shikari Richardson, the American sprinter banned from Tokyo after she tested positive and admitted to using marijuana during the US Olympic trials as she struggled with the recent death of her mother, will face the Tokyo Olympic 100m finalists at that event, while Hull will take on the gold and silver medalist of the women's 1500m at that event. Hull had entered Tokyo hoping to qualify for the final and build a foundation for 2022 and 2024. And with the first goal clearly a big tick, I began our chat by asking if she felt like she'd accomplished the latter. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, making the final was the hardest thing. And I think um, just that the stage of my career I'm at, I had to kind of run that semi-final like it was my final. Um, and we've kind of prepared for that for a long time. I kind of knew on August 4th I was going to have to run probably 3.59 to make the final. Um, so mentally, I was very, very prepared for that. Um, and then, yeah, when I lined up again on Friday, I think I I had tricked myself into believing I was feeling pretty good. And then I probably was lacking a little bit over that last 600 on the Friday. So uh, it's good motivation going into the years to come and the seasons to come. And uh, it kind of just showed me too, I can, I can be there and I can mix it. And I have the skill set that it takes to make these finals. And now how do I put things together so that when I get to these finals, I'm, I'm in contention to be in the top eight first. And then in a few years time, I'm, I'm bridging the gap to hopefully being on the podium. Because in our chat before the games, you mentioned all the research that you do and how you can sort of predict how these races will go out. Did the heat semi and final sort of play out the way you were anticipating? 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, if anything, I thought the first round would be a bit faster, just um, kind of especially once we were on the ground in Tokyo and we seen how fast the first round of the 800s were for men and women. Uh, we kind of knew the track was really, really fast and we were thinking, all right, we're going to run close to four minutes in that first round and then it'll be a 358 race to make the final and the final will be something crazy. Um, so I think it played out pretty similar to what we thought. Um, the first round was about, it was a 405 race for me and then uh, two of the other heats were 402, 403. So I think um, we we're pretty spoiled on thinking that it was going to take being a bit faster each round. Um, Maybe we were just a little bit over ambitious with how fast we thought the first round would have to be. But the second round certainly made up for that because uh, it was exactly um, the way, kind of even the way the semis drew uh, the second for the second round. The first semi, which I was in, um, was a lot of front runners uh, kind of all drew that same semi. And then the second semi was kind of all the kickers. So it was quite interesting to kind of know that, um, like just how the heat sheets drew out like that, um, we could kind of think as soon as we seen that semi-final uh, start list it was going to be fast so um, I don't think we've ever seen a semi that fast in a championship um, but I knew going into it it was going to be and I was I was just ready to to defend my place in that top five to make the final. As we mentioned you set a national and Oceania record in the semi-final running three minutes 58 seconds point eight one. how exciting is it for you to know that whilst you're building on a foundation, your foundation is the quickest an Australian woman has ever run in the 1500 metres. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to put it like that. That's for sure. I mean, I think um, the most exciting thing I'm walking away from Tokyo with is knowing that, okay, I've run really fast this year and maybe I won't run it faster again for the next month or so while I keep racing. But I don't in any way feel tapped out. Like I feel like there's still a lot of room we can improve on in training. Um, a lot of things that I'm just going to get better at as I start layering more time together. So it's pretty exciting that like, okay, right now that's where we're at. But I don't know. I think there's potential to run a lot faster over the next few years. And making the final, you weren't alone in that final. You had a fellow Australian there in Linden Hall. How special was that to have two Aussies in the final there? Oh, it was so special. And it even just makes the whole process way more enjoyable because uh, you kind of, you have someone that you know in there and who has been through the same system, same juniors uh, and appreciates the Olympics as a fellow Aussie kind of does. I think Australians take a lot of pride in the Olympics and um, I think a lot of countries do, but the way that Australia arrives on the Olympic stage is, is pretty special. To, so to have someone that was that fired up and uh, realise the magnitude of the moment with me go through the whole process um, was very exciting. And I think uh, if you look at where we finished and in, well, initially we were the first, we were the only country to put two into the final. And then um, the US had one woman advanced um, based on a fall, which it, there was a lot of falls and um, I think rightly so a lot of athletes were being reinstated. Um, so it ended up that we had two Australians and two Americans in the final. But if you go by that and then um, 10 other women from 10 different countries, and the finishing order, I mean, you could kind of say Australia is the best country in the world right now for female 1500 metre running based on where Lyndon and I finished. So it's pretty cool. And I hope that there's uh, some younger athletes looking at that being like, well, in 2024, I want to line up in that final with them. So, yeah, who knows? We might make up a quarter of the final in, in Paris. That'd be pretty cool.
pretty exciting if that was the case. But it, it was a pretty good uh, meet for Australian track as a whole, wasn't it? Yourself and Lyndon in the 1500 women's, Stuart McSwain and Ollie Hoare in the men's 1500. Of course, Peter Boll, 800. Um, Rowan Browning wins a heat and makes the semis in the 100. Ash Maloney with a healthy assist from Cedric Dubler in the decathlon. What's special about this current crop of Aussie track stars? I, I don't know that there's a common theme about what's special. I think what we were doing was taking momentum from each other, which was like a credit to the coaches and um, the support staff that put us in Tokyo in the best shape of our lives. And then just like, it was contagious. It was from day one when Peter Ball wins his heat and breaks his Australian record. It's like, okay, well, that's just the standard now for this the rest of this track meet. That's uh, everyone's got to rise to that. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think um, between the top eight finishes, making finals, running PBs, uh, breaking Australian records, there was just so much momentum amongst the team. And I know that everyone that was waiting those first few days to to actually get to compete themselves was kind of really, really raring to go. Once we sort of watched those athletes that started on day one and two get the momentum going so yeah it's uh, a young team and I think that that was kind of um when you kind of look at the age spread um the younger athletes I don't know if, if athletics has become a bit more of a team sport for younger athletes uh, a lot of that kind of stems from the collegiate system in the NCAA being so team-based that um yeah I think we've all kind of learned how to tap into momentum that builds from one another and see that as a really really positive force um before we get our chance to go on the track and then we had some really great mentorship from Danny Samuels and Steve Solomon as our team captains to uh, guarantee us all that. Like on the eve of competition, they they just made, took a moment to tell us like we're all we're so proud of you guys, regardless of what happens. Um, and I think that kind of just gave that like it lifted a bit of pressure if anyone was feeling it, and gave you the grace to just go out there and be like, I'm gonna compete hard and I'm gonna give my best, and that's all that that's enough tomorrow or the next day whenever they were competing and then suddenly we were just uh outperforming our rankings uh, across the entire board because you did have a lot of support from athletics australia and the aoc before and during the event didn't you yeah yeah they've been incredible um from before the postponement till like the whole process through the postponement they kept us in the loop of what was going on what was things were going to look like and then um on the ground in Tokyo, like there was no excuse to not perform there. Like they had every resource possible um, that we could need that you could even imagine needing um, kind of just with the whole building that we had. And uh, it was fitted out with um, Australian decor that made us like, honestly, with um, the village being a closed village this year to just athletes, it really felt like we could have just been in Sydney with um, the setup that they had. It didn't feel foreign at all. They had gyms, they had uh, recovery centers everything just in this uh, apartment building where we were staying so yeah they went above and beyond to give us the opportunity to perform and um i think across the board of track and field and then extending into other sports we we got out there and went for it and we had the backing of the whole aoc and australia and the resources we needed to to perform so yeah it was pretty incredible to kind of just walk through that building and be like wow what like how how did they think of all these things but they did there was no stone left unturned i mean i imagine that resourcing would have helped because watching on the telly um it, the conditions looked i guess oppressive if we're being charitable with the heat and humidity it looked outright torturous at times just how hard was it to race in those conditions 
Yeah, I think um, I kind of tried to forget about that. I knew I was taking care of the details in hydration, electrolytes, uh, using an ice vest in warm up to make sure that it didn't affect me in the racing. But I think I had tried to forget about it so much that once I did finish competing and I did travel back to Portland, I realized how oppressive it had been is like the delayed fatigue from the games um, is something I've never felt before. And I think a lot of that is going to actually have been attributed to the the conditions that we were, we were competing in was um, it took a lot more out of us than I think we all thought it did if we were taking care of those things while we were there. Um, but coming home, I think we've all realized like, wow, that the heat and the humidity really did take its toll on us. I mean, given how oppressive uh, these conditions were, I mean, she's not Australian, but I wanted to ask you about the performance of Sifan Hassan. She's got bronze in the 1500, gold in the 5000 and 10,000. Superhuman, I don't think is hyperbolic <laughs> in that. Yeah, it was what she did was just absolutely remarkable. I don't think there's anything like that we've seen on the track before um I mean sprinters do the 100 200 and the relay triple but um I mean I've never been able to sprint fast enough to truly know what a 10-6 feels like I'm assuming that it probably feels similar to what our all our efforts in a 1500 does it just doesn't last as long um but what Sifan did was just like I mean I was cheering for her I wanted to see her pull off the triple because I thought like um in sport in general has never seen a performance like that um but yeah what she did I I can't believe in those conditions how she just kept showing up and recovered and just like Eva she's very very good at just forgetting about how things feel and just actually executing what she intends to do regardless of how it feels um, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of her training over the last couple of years, we've been based in similar locations. Um, and like, I mean, it truly makes sense why she was able to do, uh, what she did based on the workload that she un- endures in training. But yeah, I mean, she's going for the 5k world record this coming Friday in Eugene. And I, I can't fathom how she's doing that just two weeks after what she's done in Tokyo. Well, as you mentioned, you're in uh portland's now in oregon because not a lot of rest for you you've got the uh, prefontaine classic coming up this weekend some of our listeners might be listening before that some after but it's at hayward field on the campus of the university of oregon so a bit of a home field advantage for you yeah i'm super excited to go home i feel like every chance i get to go to eugene is a is a fun one and um being able to race at prefontaine at Hayward Field, I think I've I've had this when the Diamond League released their new calendar. I think I had this one as my like circled moment of my first sub four was going to happen down there, <laughs> and um, I might have achieved that a couple of weeks ago. But going back to Hayward uh, is is always pretty exciting, and it always feels like a homecoming for me. So I know we're doing a little alumni event on the Friday night too, which will be we're really special to see some people that I came through college with. Mm. And you're running in the 1500 meters again, and it's a pretty decent field that's there to compete with you. They've got the the now two-time defending Olympic champion, Faith Kipiagon from Kenya, and then the silver medalist, Laura Muir, is amongst the others that are competing. I mean, the entire field, all of the Olympics, there's not a lot of rest for any of you, is there? It's straight back on the horse and getting ready for the next meet, isn't it? Despite the fatigue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think um, it's, I, I think a lot of us are going to be in the same boat is like with travel and just recovery. I think 
Um, no one's going to have felt amazing in these last couple of weeks. We are all going to line up having probably experienced the same come down and rebuild as each other. Um, but this is what we like. This is the part we love of the season is like there's no pressure. Um, the major championships over. We've we've had our our fun and our performances there. But now it's just comes down to like well, we're fit, why not race? Let's just go and have some fun with it. So yeah, I think um, for the for Faith and for Laura, they're uh, kind of getting to extend their victory kind of um, celebrations by coming back to Haywood and racing. And um, I'm sure they're looking forward to being out there in front of the Haywood crowd too, because after being in a pretty empty stadium in Tokyo, it'll be very, very exciting to have a crowd down in Eugene on the weekend. Mm. Because the Prefontaine Classic, with named after celebrated Oregon alum Steve Pre, mm -hmm. uh, Prefontaine, it's a pretty big deal in American track and fields, isn't it? I mean, it, it's a it's a diamond league, mate, but it's also got a celebrated history there in the US. And we see like Shikari Richardson's back; she's racing all three medalists in the women's one hundred meters as well. Could you just give us a breakdown of just how big this meet is for American track and field? Yeah, it's huge. It's the event that all American track and field athletes and athletes around the world want to be part of. It's the highlight of the Diamond League season, which in itself is every meet of that is pretty exciting and glamorous. And um, But Prefontaine is the one that you want to compete at. And it's one of the hardest ones to get into because of just the demand and um, the, the level of uh, excellence it kind of makes us have to bring. Um, so yeah, I think there's going to be some pretty magical moments on Saturday and I'm sure, uh, Shikari coming back and she's running the hundred and the 200 against the Olympic medalist, like she's going to bring some fireworks. And I think her hundred might be right before our 1500 and then her 200 right after. So I'm kind of excited with the way that's situated as like, it's, uh, I mean, she's going to bring so much energy when she hits the track. So, uh, I'm glad that we'll get to kind of be in between her two moments. Um, I think it'd be a pretty fun place to be in the program. So yeah, between from the men's hundred, women's hundred, um, all the way up to the men's two miles, Stewie McSween out Aussie, make sure like he is looking at breaking eight minutes in the two mile, which is pretty remarkable when you think of how sought after that sub four for one for a mile is like breaking four minutes in a mile is not many people get to do it ever in their life. Um, no matter like pretty elite people sometimes don't even get to that level and he's going to try and do that back to back and break eight minutes for a two mile um yeah so like there's going to be some pretty electric performances from aussies and um i'm lining out with linden in the 1500 so yeah across the board it'll be a pretty jam-packed two hours of track and field and then after that what does the next few years look like for you you mentioned you're off to europe after the prefontaine you've got diamond league meets Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games to prepare for. Um, and you're looking to run more than the 1500 at those events as well, looking to do extra distances. Just do you, how do you prepare for all this? Do you take time off? Do you set aside blocks of I'm not running during these months or do you take it as it comes? How do you figure all that sort of stuff out? Yeah, I think this is uh, the piece that my coach falls is this responsibility falls on him. Um, but yeah, we're kind of looking at I'll race until about September 12th this year. Um, and then I'll take the rest of September off. So um, when I was younger, when I was a junior, my downtime was completely off. Um, I would let my body grow. And my dad has a one of the doors in our house at home actually has like our heights on it. And he would always measure me at the start of our 
break and then like two and a half to three weeks later I would have grown a couple of centimeters because it was just like it yeah it was crazy how quick it would happen because um you kind of just give your body that time to rest and um you would go for a little bit of a growth spurt and then you'd be ready to start again and um I think that's why I've stayed pretty injury free my whole career was as as a younger athlete I was given that chance to grow um but now as a like 24 year old woman it's a bit different my downtime it's like it's too well it'll be about 18 days this this year um till the end of September but it'll be I'll have a few days completely off and then it'll be like oh I feel like running 30 minutes today go for a little bit of a jog um stay a bit more active in the breaks nowadays because otherwise the body starts to to really resent you when you do try and reload um so yeah it'll be it'll look a bit different this year but same thing after the season it's so important to mentally and physically switch off and um not really think about athletics for a couple of weeks there is always my coach's biggest thing is like don't think about track don't think about like anything in the gym just uh do enough to stay a little bit active and um it's hard to do because it is such a big part of my life. So it's, uh, but it is very important to sustain that um, intensity that we have for the middle of the year next year when we're going to go world champs and straight into the Commonwealth Games. I'm guessing a leisurely 30 minutes jog for you looks a little bit different <laughs> than me looking like a wounded wildebeest trying to jog for 30 minutes. I mean, if I took two weeks off, I think we'd probably feel pretty similar. <laughs> I know that a lot of us kind of um, appreciate how hard it is for people to become runners when we come off our breaks because it isn't running is not fun when you're not fit for a few weeks there. So, um, yeah, I definitely think we all kind of resonate with the, the general public who, who try and get the running bug. Um, it's pretty hard for a few weeks there when when we come off our breaks. <laughs> And given the current state of play here in Australia, is there any hope of you getting back here to just see family and friends at some point anytime soon? Or is it a case of they'll have to come out to you at some point? I would like to come home for Christmas. I haven't missed a Christmas yet. And I, I don't really want to break mum's heart yet <laughs> and by doing that. So, but they understand that if, um, if there is still hotel quarantine come Christmas time, it's probably not the best thing for me to do. So if there's some sort of switch regard, uh, in regards to how you quarantine to come home, um, maybe they'll be home quarantine if you're fully vaccinated. Uh, if that's in play, I'll think about it. Um, but at this point in time, I think uh, my fiance is going to come to me in October and that'll be good. So yeah, he'll um, be able to travel for a little bit and then um, kind of sort of weigh up the options of returning home based on what the quarantine situation looks like. So yeah, I think uh, it's all just month to month right now is it's hard to plan. And even um, we were talking earlier today about like, we're getting married next December in 2022. And it was just like, how do we even plan like this right now? Because there's just so much ambiguity. So yeah, probably not really thinking too far in advance. It would be nice to be at home for Christmas, but if it's not possible, then yeah, I'll have to make up for it somewhere in the in the years to come. <laughs> when was the last time you actually got to see your fiance in person? Uh, the end of February, right before I came back to the US. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a long time. It's a long time. But I mean, time flies when you're working hard. <laughs> so yeah. I think uh, both of us have kind of just done that in our own ways um, for the last few months. But yeah, we know there's a light at the end of the tunnel now. So that's exciting. And now looking ahead also, now that you're an Olympic finalist in your Oceania and Australian record holder once again does that increase in reputation and awareness help 
attract sponsors and make your life a little bit of easier. You don't have to live as frugally. It's easier to get into meets, all of that sort of stuff. Does that all of that off the track stuff really take a leap up now as well? Yeah, it's interesting. I started to look a little bit at that yesterday with Phoebe. I had a Zoom meeting with her. Um, she's my contact at W Sports and Media, and we're just sort of figuring out those little pieces of how do we kind of how do we keep people interested in my journey now that they've followed along in the Olympics, and um, how do we keep them wanting to follow along and be part of it going forward? Like what um, and see like can they keep that interest through the world champs and the com games? And it's not just a once every four years kind of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure we're exploring what that's going to look like right now. Um, in terms of getting into meets and stuff, it definitely does help to have ran pretty fast and to be um, the Australian record holder is uh, makes it a lot simpler to get into meets. And um, it's, I mean, I've been pretty lucky. I have a great agent, Stephen Haas and my coach as well, Pete, who can usually, uh, go to bat for me if it's getting hard to get into a meet they can usually kind of well Pete can say well she's doing this x y and z in training I think she can run this and and make it a bit more appealing um but yeah definitely does help having and just it helps being able to know and plan out your season a bit more rather than going race to race and being like oh maybe I'll get into that meet if I run this next week in um Prefontaine first uh now it's a bit more like I can be a bit more structured in my season planning. So yeah, it's, it's helpful and it's opening doors and I'll, I'll know a bit more about what doors it's opened in the weeks to come when um, I've had time to kind of take it all in. Well, in terms of people wanting to follow along your journey as you go to Worlds and prepare for the Commonwealth Games, where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, I think um, Instagram is where I'm the most active. Um, and that's Jessica with two A's and Hull, H-U-L-L. I always have to spell it out, especially with Lyndon, because um, the Hull and the Hull is confusing a lot of people, including drug testers who are who are looking for Lyndon and, and picking me. And then they realize that I'm Hull, not Hull. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we it's it's a running joke that we have to clarify those things. Um, but, yeah, Instagram's probably where I'm most active and uh, I do a pretty good job of keeping people in the loop of where I'm going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sometimes a little bit overwhelming getting back to the one-on-one -on -one messages on there. It's uh, it's kind of exploded the last few weeks, but I, I do see everything and I appreciate every bit of encouragement that goes my way. And I, I'm definitely thinking about that when I'm nervous and I'm getting ready to go onto the start line. I know um, it's pretty special to line up and think about how much support is behind you, um, even if they can't be in the stadium. Mm -hmm. Well, Jess, thank you for taking your time out of your day to join us uh, in the lead up to the Prefontaine Classic and Worlds and the Commonwealth Games and Olympics. No doubt we'll be following along and watching your progression and journey, which will hopefully uh, end with a medal uh, outside the Champs-Élysées in Paris in 2024. But really appreciate your time this morning for us in Australia and this evening over there in Portland for you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see where the next few years goes. So a big few months coming up for Hull before a well-earned break, before hopefully a chance to get back to Australia and see her family at Christmas. And no matter what she says, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that my absolute best 30-minute jog will never approach her worst 30-minute jog. But enough of that, and for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us for another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead, this time with Australian middle distance runner Jessica Hull. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as ever, 
Remember that you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and every single episode of all of ESPN's collection of delightful podcasts, wherever you so happen to get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead, or any of those other podcasts, but especially Beyond the Lead, be sure to subscribe while you're there and give us one of those five stars reviews to help spread the word. Regardless of that, thanks for tuning in today, or any other day, and I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into sports as ESPN takes you beyond the lead.